Hello and welcome to Out of the Forest, an actual play podcast about a bunch of doofuses trying to do an RPG and failing terribly. We are currently playing Monster of the Week by Michael Sands, and I am Chris. I am your game master slash keeper, and I am joined by my players, who will now introduce themselves. I'm Evan, I play Baron. My name is Dominic, and I play Kernunos. I'm Jessica, and I play Enif. And I'm Alistair, and I play Isaac. Those are our players uh, for this campaign, uh, named the, the titular Out of the Forest. It is a modern paranormal fiction, obviously, uh, RPG using the Much of the Week system, which is a hack of the Power by the Pocket system, which is a um, narrative-based RPG system. So it's more heavily on us having a conversation about what's happening and building the world and the events and the plot together uh, than your typical D&D, here's a dungeon, uh, roll your dice, what what spell do you use? Um, this is going to be a bit unconventional of a beginning to this podcast, uh, simply because this campaign has been going for three sessions or three adventures already. Um, we didn't start recording until the third adventure and didn't really decide maybe this could be a podcast until halfway through that adventure. Uh, so we're starting a little late and that's why we're doing this intro episode to kind of bring everyone in and be like, here's what's happened so far. I'm going to do my best to kind of start at a baseline with these adventures, um, without like degrading my player's experience um so that way anyone who's listening won't be like oh wait what do they mean jonathan who's jonathan well if jonathan's important i'll talk about it here and if he's not i won't reference him in the podcast we actually started with four players they were uh dominic um evan and jessica and my uh brother-in-law uh however uh my brother-in-law did not mesh with the system very well. Um, his character was Agent Franks, who uh, we kept on as an NPC, and he will be an important part, which we'll explain a little more in detail when we kind of go over past events. Uh, once he left, I actually had Alistair. I was like, hey, join us, and then he did, and it was great. The basic plot of this adventure is that um, it takes place in a... I was about to say town, but it's more of it's about the size of like a uh, county on the east coast, so not like gigantic like some of the west uh, Midwest areas are. Uh, it's got a large metropolitan area towards its center. It's got a good number of suburbs surrounding it, and out at the edges, it's got rural areas complete with farms and and weird amnesiacs living in cabins. Monsdale is a isolated town somewhere in the pacific northwest it's a little unclear exactly where it is and that's not just me being a cop out it's there's a lot of strangeness about this town it's isolated it's um no one really comes or goes from monsdale and people go missing and the news fails to report on it more than a cursory mention um Luckily for the people months ago, the people going missing is a fairly rare occurrence, or at least it was until the last few months where situations of a mysterious element have been cropping up more and more. Q Agent Franks, a member of the a local organization called the Agency. He was an agent in charge of uh, field work dealing with these mysteries going on in the town, and with the uptick of these events going on he was 
authorized to deputize talented or skilled members of the community. During his investigation into the deaths of an old woman by the name of Edna O'Houlihan, he met Enith Fafnir, Baron, and Kernunos, who all were in the area for their own purposes, and deputized them to help him solve the mystery. They have since gone on to be a group that dedicated to saving people and protecting Munsdale from these forces of darkness, these monsters that are cropping up throughout their uh, town. Um, and since the uh, departure of Agent Franks, trying to do so before the agency can step in. Because the agency, while they are interested in the safety of the town, it is a secondary directive to their main goal, which is hiding the mysteries of this town from the general public. And with that, I will go ahead and let my players kind of shed some light on the names I've been using, uh, introducing their characters so that you can kind of know who we're rooting for here. I'll let uh, Evan kick us off. Uh, yeah, my name is Evan. I play Baron. Um, Baron is, uh, is an interesting character. Um, he is, as maybe was touched on, a, a bit of an amnesiac. Uh, he's a stronger, more powerful looking man. Usually he wears kind of ragged clothes and probably roughly about like late, late 20s, early 30s. Um, up until uh, a few mysteries ago, after he went through some, some serious stuff, uh, some of the people he knew uh, just being uh, people that he was, was familiar with being um, involved in some of the mysteries and attacked by some of the monsters and didn't, didn't make out so well. He's been more uh, rugged looking as of late, uh, growing out a beard. Um, other than that, um, he's an amnesiac, so he came out of the forest uh, about a year before the events that are currently happening. Uh, he came out with just uh, himself and a sword and really did not know um, where or what he was doing. Uh, he kind of uh, situated himself and figured out he was pretty handy with most stuff. Um, so he's been the local town handyman for a while, kind of used that to fit in and get a job and then eventually he just decided to kind of build his own house on the, uh, the outskirts of town. Uh, not entirely legally at the time, but nobody really likes to uh, build their house on the edge of the town closer to the forest. So uh, eventually he just kind of was able to buy the plot of land because nobody else wanted it. And now he has a little cabin on the edge of the woods. Um, his amnesia uh, kind of gets, uh, he doesn't really get too much information about it, but he is also um, a werewolf, uh, which only certain people know. Um, werewolf more in the fact that he will just turn into a wolf. Um, not as much like a, a man-wolf kind of looking thing, but a very big, like almost dire-wolf looking thing. Um, and occasionally he will uh, get a call from his master, uh, who has a slight possession hold over him, which we're trying to figure out what exactly is going on there. So that's Baron. All right, next up, uh, Dominic will introduce his character, Kernunos. All right, so Kernunos is, uh, well... He's the Celtic god of the forest and the hunt. And he, he exists in our world, or in Munsdale, at the whim of a collection of deities who are trying to fight against the adversary. Gods like Zeus and Hera and Odin and whomever else are 
you know, they've sent Kirinus down to the human realm to try to figure out what's going on and why there are so many disappearances in Munsdale. So he, he does answer to a higher power, but he himself is basically a demigod. In terms of Monster of the Week, I play the playbook of the Divine. Kirinus does have some special powers and things attributed to him because of this. But because he is a god-given kind of mortal form and he's been just kind of thrown to the planet, he doesn't really know what's going on or what he's doing. Uh, he had to quickly figure out how cell phones work, because uh, I can't imagine living life without a cell phone in today's... in, in this economy. Ugh. Um, so he uh, is having some trouble adjusting to the human world. And fortunately for him, uh, some folks around him are helping him. He's actually latched onto Baron uh, a little bit to help him kind of adjust to humanity. Not that Baron's a great role model for that. Because he is the god of the forest and of the hunt... He has an affinity for the forest, and my favorite thing, my favorite power that he has is the ability to teleport uh, between wooded areas. So if he is in a public park or in the woods, he can teleport anywhere else, which is always exciting. And it can go wrong, and it has, and it's excellent. He does have a bad British accent, and I'll attribute this to the fact that Celtic does not mean British. It is a combination of, like central and western uh europe as well as england and ireland and everything so i'm not good at accents but to differentiate between me talking like this and me talking as canunos i adapt um a pseudo uh british pseudo uh european accent now jessica will introduce the, her character enith So I play Ina Fafnir, which is a spellcaster. They are about in their early 30s, but they look really young. They look to be like in their 20s. They're non-binary and they look very androgynous. They're tall, short wavy hair, um, and they have very like fierce eyes. Their style is a little vintage and eclectic. They own the shop Veritate, which has kind of become sort of a hub for all of us throughout our adventures, where they sell crystals and herbs and candles and tarot and all that kind of stuff. That has like a small greenhouse in the back and an apartment above the shop where they live. The fun thing about Enif is they 100% believe in pseudo magic, even though they can do actual magic. So they consult tarot cards before a lot of their decision making and use crystals in a lot of their magic, even though the crystals don't really do anything. It's Enif doing it. They learned magic from a cult, actually, but left after the cult started doing dark magic. They don't have any memory pre-cult life, and they practice mostly healing and uh, protection magic because they don't like dark magic. They have a terrible memory and can only recognize people by their voices, except for Isaac. It's the only one that they actually recognize by sight. Although they don't really like people, they do have this need to help them if they genuinely need help. And there's a lot of terrible things that have happened in our past adventures that have caused, you know, people to lose their lives that they felt responsible for. And they feel great guilt for um, the lives, the loss that they weren't able to save. And a cool thing with um, the playbook I'm using is I have a move called Third Eye, which I really like, where when they read a bad situation, they can open their third eye and take an extra information, um, which usually gives them, if they do it well, a plus, uh, an extra question they can ask, and then they can see invisible things as well, uh, which is always pretty cool. So that's Enif. All right. Uh, and finally, we have our late addition, uh, Alistair as Isaac. 
Hey, um, yeah, so Isaac is a kind of lanky, dark-haired college student um, studying photography at the local community college in Munsdale. He's really quite reserved, a little anxious, quiet, kind of nervous, and for the most part keeps to himself up until a ridiculous series of events that took place uh, over the past couple of weeks in game. So a few months ago, he and his friends actually bought a Ouija board from a local shop in town with the intent to hold a seance. Obviously, college kids didn't expect anything to happen. Turns out, actually, a spirit of a young girl was summoned. Her name was Iris Hall. Um, she was killed when she was young in the early to mid-70s or so, and she appears and actually possesses Isaac. Um, unknowing to him for a little while. She's unable to be seen by anyone else except for him. There was definitely an adjustment period of a few weeks where Isaac had to get used to the fact that he has a ghost following him around. She can interact with some objects, and for the very first time, just a couple of weeks ago, she gave him a vision, and the vision was of a skeletal creature attacking the college's dean. And uh, Isaac, not knowing really what to do, rushed back to the shop from which he purchased the Ouija board in the first place um, in order to find help. And it just so happened that the shop was owned by the local spellcaster, Enif. The rest kind of is history. Iris and Isaac have kind of worked on forging their relationship. Um, Iris's abilities are still kind of blossoming. And through that possession, uh, Isaac is able to kind of use some of them and they're kind of working on being more partners um, kind of in helping prevent evils um, and disasters in the in the town all right um i, I want to take this moment to kind of apologize for how uh, clinical i guess this intro episode is it's there's just a lot of information to go through i promise we goof a hell of a lot more when we kind of have the time uh just just to hop back real quick munsdale specifically is uh cut off from the rest of the world by a forest that completely surrounds it and it is dense and thick enough to uh make it difficult to travel through and also very dark and difficult to see while in everyone in town kind of knows that the the for at least the deeper forest isn't safe though it's not generally understood why, because it it has never been a thing that gets discussed. The world isn't separated from the rest of the world digitally, and so occasionally people kind of figure out that their town's weird, but they kind of chalk it up to, you know, oh, we live in a, 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 a you know, small, isolated community, things are going to be weird. And they Just from a culture of not questioning things, they don't question things themselves most of the time, unless they come face-to-face with the things that go bump in the night. The agency, in its quest to protect the town from the knowledge of the dangers their their kind of mysterious quest to to keep this all under the under the covers they have developed a technology that's very similar to men in black style like mind wiping but they haven't quite figured out how that do without like really messing up someone's brain so instead it more makes those memories dreamlike and those memories kind of become harder to remember accurately and also when they do when they are remembered it feels like oh yeah i dreamt that that couldn't have actually happened and then um confirmation bias leads people to believe yeah no that definitely couldn't have happened what that's probably a dream that that's always a dream and they go on with their lives as mentioned there were three uh, adventures three mysteries as uh much as we calls them, that occurred before the start of this. I'm going to go ahead and go over this my ability. I 
encourage my players at this point if I forget something or there's something important that they want to step in with, just go ahead and interrupt me willy-nilly. We started out Mystery 1, and that was with our original crew, Baron, Carnunos, Enith, and Agent Franks. They were not a crew yet at that point. Uh, Agent Franks showed up to the scene of a, cr- a supposed crime where an elderly woman had passed away in her sleep. Uh, the husband insisted that they were uh, so healthy because they ate so many oats and did so much exercise and also ate so many oats that it couldn't have been natural causes. There had to have been foul play, but the cops couldn't find anything indicating it. Uh, the reason Franks was there was because uh, his agency has ways of telling when mystical things are causing the issues. Enif kind of got pulled in when a nosy, needy kind of neighbor of theirs, Paulette, who comes to Enif's shop just about every day for a tarot reading to lead her life, came in and accidentally implicated Enif as being involved with this crime somehow. The cops luckily didn't take Paulette too seriously, but it led to Enif also kind of investing in the crime. Kernunus was sent there at the behest of his bosses, and Baron kind of got pulled in just by uh, being curious about the, the ambulances barreling by. Over the course of the investigation, Kernunos, at the behest of his god, made sure the investigation stayed slow enough that another person got claimed by the monster. Through their investigation, it took them a while, but they eventually discovered that the monster in question was a Dullahan, a headless horseman usually sent down to Earth as a reaper for a Celtic god. It wasn't me. <laughs> wasn't Kernunos, luckily. Can promise on that one. Or was it? The uh, Dullahan continued its dark business, and it was kind of discovered that the Dullahan was operating kind of overzealously for some reason. They weren't quite sure why, but they discovered through investigations, talking with the widower O'Hulahan, and generally doing their own investigation of the mystery, they discovered that the Dullahan is weak to gold, or, or perhaps weak to uh, crosses. They just they decided to hedge their bets and equip each of them with a gold cross that they bought at a pawn shop, and they went and bested the beast after much trampling and swinging of an executioner sword by the Dullahan. They exchanged contact numbers, and Agent Franks commented that this kind of thing happened all the time in the town, and said that if they had any kind of semblance of nobility or or dedication to the safety of their town, they should answer the phone next time he calls. That way they can get ahead of this before more are harmed. And we all said no. And that was, and that was the end of the podcast. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it was literally episode negative three, and... It's already over. Thanks for listening. Hope you had a great time. There won't be an episode one. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, Mystery 2 came along, and Agent Franks came upon his dead draw to find that something shady was going down at the lumber mill. Uh, the others kind of already had a hint at it, except perhaps Kernunos, who still wasn't great at technology at this time, when in the news it was reported that there was an attempted murder at the lumber mill. They went down and found uh, Hank, a a lumberjack at the lumber mill, who had attempted to feed one of his co-workers into the the saw. Luckily, he was stopped just in time and got put under custody by the police. Through Baron's contact, Jonah, the proprietor of the uh, lumber store tied up with the lumber mill due to uh, Baron's proclivity for carpentry, they managed to get the chance to sneak onto the lumber mill and start doing their investigation. They 
ran afoul a few times of staff members and the cops, as would become a bit of a trend. But they still managed to gather a decent amount of information about this ghostly singing coming from the woods that seemed to enrapture certain people, but be completely impossible to hear by others, such as Enith. They learned through their investigation that the music was coming from a forest nymph a, a, a or a dryad or or something in between and that its song was capable of possessing anyone attracted to to females they then went and bought some earbuds at some point during their investigations through the technological incompetence of kernunos they accidentally pulled up porn at the public library and got Banned for life, causing them to have to seek out other means of research in the future. At some point, they tried to bring the library in cupcakes, but this fairly non-charming party failed to really get ahead of that one. Our cupcakes were rejected. It's worth noting that all of us have a negative to our uh, <laughs> to our, our abilities that let us talk to other Except people. Except for Isaac, who has zero. Except for me, who is absolutely neutral in his charm. <laughs> To be fair, during this mystery, Agent Franks also had a negative to charm, which is the ability to use to <laughs> talk to people good. We're all really bad. <laughs> yeah, they're all a bit of loners. In any case, uh, which which makes it all the more hilarious when they try to work together. Um, regardless, after some tricky business with a couple of the nymphs' servants who had been staging as if they were not under her thrall, uh, separating them and, and trying to convince them to work under the dryad's thrall, they eventually managed to seek out and uh, chop down the mother tree from which the dryad was born, and Enif, with one mighty hack of the axe they were wielding, finished off this particular monster. Enif got hella swole. <laughs> Unfortunately, before yeah. this could happen, uh, Hank, one of the servants of the Dryads, was captured and questioned in Enif's basement, and in a fit of fury, Kernunos murdered the man, or came close to it, and then finished him off when trying to heal Enif. This act of murder against a unintentionally evil civilian led Franks to realize that he could really only work with this group at arm's length. He realized that he would be implicated. But Agent Franks was one of the more benevolent, I guess you could say, agents of the agency who really wanted to help people more than just cover everything up. And so in order to keep ahead of the agency and maybe seek to save more people, Hank notwithstanding, he kept in contact with the members, the current members of the party, offering to help where he could as long as they didn't run afoul of that particular moral question too often. But yeah, with the, the hack of the axe, Enif killed the Dryad, and they were left with three, uh, Agent Franks promising to keep them in the loop of any further mysteries. Another week later, about mid-October, uh, Enif received their first dead drop regarding strange happenings at the college enough of an enigma that the agency had not yet started to investigate and so franks gave them a map of the college and just a short primer about what was happening at the same time as uh enif got baron and Carnunos together isaac arrived at the shop hoping that the purveyor of the ouija board that had caused him to be haunted might be able to offer some help 
in said haunting. Enif, with their abilities, recognized that the uh, kid was telling the truth. Isaac was indeed haunted. And with a discussion with Baron and Carnunos, uh, decided to let him fill the uh, gap Agent Franks left, but kind of keep him at arm's length for the time being until they knew they could trust him, which led to a comedy of errors where they all proved to be bad at keeping secrets. They went to the college and discovered the dean was missing, met the speedrunners club who pointed them in the right direction, and they found that the monster in question was a interdimensional creature that existed in a non-Euclidean space mimicking the area that it was attached to, known as the back rooms. People continued to go missing throughout the course of this, and Kernunos, unbeknownst to everyone else, was tasked with claiming the soul of a victim for one of his fickle masters for the purpose of studying the effects of these these monster attacks on mortals. This all sounds really incriminating. I do want to just point out that Kernunos is a good guy, Okay, uh, that, I thought there was going to be more to that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Just in case anyone's getting it twisted. I'm not running around murdering people willy-nilly. He'll provide no evidence, but he's a good guy. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I have the feeling if Karenunos was commanded to do something truly evil, he'd fight back. At least there was like, this is for the greater good, in theory. They went into the back rooms to try and save some of the people who had gone missing after getting a list uh, from Agent Frank's and were able to locate Victor, who, after trying to lock them out of a room and feed them to the monster, was knocked out, and locating Cato, a member of the speedrunning club who had gone missing way earlier, who helped Enif uh, escape the back rooms when they got separated. Victor, bleeding from the head from the wound he incurred when they were forced to break into the room he was hiding in, was purportedly taken to the outskirts of the hospital by Kernunos. At least, that's what he told Baron when he left, but was instead handed over to uh, Kernunos's ally, a uh, dryad named Balanos, who is using a human form to hide in plain sight and assist her master wherever possible. Victor was allowed to die so that he might be used in the ritual to claim his soul for the greater good of discovering what these monsters are doing. Cato was luckily rescued and taken to the hospital shortly after Enif and him escaped the back rooms. Everyone met up after medical services were provided to Isaac and Enif, who had both suffered greatly at the hands of the monster they were facing, a interdimensional beast that was difficult to focus on for it was not of this world. And through some research and preparations, they discovered that the monster could only be truly harmed by a weapon crafted from its own domain. Kernunos crafted stakes from a broken door from the back rooms, and Enif had speared the monster with a uh, metal rod taken from a shelving unit found back there. After they had all prepared, Enif replacing their wand with a match bracelet uh, after having lost it in the back rooms, Kernunos and Baron cooperating in a ritual to send Victor's soul to... Kernunos' pantheon, and Isaac catching up with Iris and generally just trying to digest everything that had happened to him in the craziest 48 hours of his entire fucking life. They gather together and 
at the premonition of Iris, Isaac's ghost friend, they went back to the school, rushed in, and broke into the back rooms just in time to save the dean who was being savagely beaten by the monster. In a series of surprisingly successful roles, they stabbed the monster repeatedly with a series of spear, uh, stakes rather, that were just kind of tossed casually around, beaten with a desk, and held to the wall as the finishing blow was delivered by Carnunos, held to the wall by Iris. The monster fell through the floor, and they took the Dean out, and as Baron and Carnunos escaped the back rooms, they saw them collapsing. They had only managed to rescue some of the people who were left back there, and as the back rooms collapsed, so did the rifts there. And the fate of those that were not rescued is unknown. This fact weighed most heavily on Enif and Baron. Isaac probably not taking too, not not getting away too easily, but there had been a lot going on in Isaac's life. So concentrating on something as as vague as maybe they're in another dimension might have proved a little challenging. And Carnunos had other had had succeeded at his task, so I think he was pretty happy for the most part. The rifts sealed, and they all left. Enif returned to their shop. And they, in a fit of despair, trashed their basement before being confronted by a mysterious person in a hoodie who spoke in riddles, though in encouraging riddles, before vanishing just as mysteriously. Karninos returned to Balanus' apartment to just kind of continue his learning how technology worked and get acquainted with te- television. Baron meditated to try and get in contact with this darkness inside of him. Enif had seen that same darkness in each of the monsters they had faced so far and the darkness had mentioned that it was also within the monster they had just faced though it was not working well with that monster as it had with other monsters so he tried to contact the darkness and was moderately successful before it left him alone once more and isaac received some start of a premonition of the next mystery to occur at camp which leaves us where we are uh right here in as far as we are in the timeline basically enif got a mysterious visitor can you just learn what tv is baron's trying to get in touch, touch with this darkness and isaac is trying to compartmentalize and kind of come to grips with the fact that his town that he's lived in all his life is as dangerous as it actually is um so now you're caught up. Hopefully that wasn't too much of an info dump. Some things to mention, just some NPCs that are somewhat important to know. The uh, speedrunning club is probably going to be a, a returning set of characters. They are, as the name would suggest, a club at the north campus of the Munsdale Community College uh, who participates in speedrunning events and, and, and practices it as a club after school. They are Priyanka, who is sort of the, the, the lead, their de facto leader. Uh, Ruth, a uh, soft-spoken girl who just wants to be left alone to, to browse gaming reddit the only the the rare good parts of gaming reddit you have jimothy who is a just a just kind of a sleepy guy who just kind of wants to play video games and drink some mountain dew and take naps uh then you have kato a more adventurous type who likes to try new things including but not limited to salvia uh as was briefly mentioned in the the last session 
of our uh, pre-podcast adventures. In addition, we also have Jeffrey, who is a uh, Uber driver, perhaps the only Uber driver, as every time they've called Uber, he's the only one who seems to show up. And he is semi-relentlessly into Baron. <laughs> he drives a Prius plays jazz when people are in his car and it's just a little too friendly uh to be comfortable uh but he's he's just we trying, all know that uber driver he's just trying his best <laughs> folks he just wants some friends maybe some more than friends uh jonah um has, was briefly mentioned he was baron's friend who unfortunately met his end at the hands of the dryad when the Dryad realized that he was an ally to these monster hunters that had come for her. He was kind of what drove it home how serious this was to Baron. And we also have uh, Isaac's roommates, which I'll let Alistair introduce. So Isaac, being a college student, does have roommates. So he lives with uh, Defan and Marissa. They're I'm going to say that they are both dating. Isaac doesn't really feel like a third wheel, so they're a good, fun group. And Defan has actually come and picked him up after... Um, he missed the bus home that, I think, second time that he was trying to uh, help the group figure out what was going on in the back rooms. They probably will not appear very often, but they are certainly other inhabitants of Munsdale. Yep. Any other important NPCs that people feel need to mention? Balanos might be an important one. Yeah, I can I can tackle Balanos. As a divine being, I have the ability to occasionally... I mean, that I mean once, call upon, you know, a mystic a mystic assistant. And so after the Dryad episode, uh, Kirnunas had the idea that, you know, maybe they could use a little bit of extra help, and uh, got himself his own Dryad named Balanos, who has settled in nicely in the world. She has an apartment that Kirnunas is living at, and an unspecified job, and uh, is ultimately doing a much better job at him than in terms of, of situating into the world which is, is excellent super into party canon yes and is yeah. very into Metal. the band party canon um any other uh npcs uh paulette might show up in my shop every once in a while fair paulette uh did you want to introduce paulette jess uh paulette <laughs> <laughs> oh paulette oh paulette oh paulette uh <laughs> paulette is I'm going to say housewife, but I could be wrong. <laughs> like, is like a, one of your neighborhood watch type of type of women that just needs to have their nose in everything and can't solve a single problem without having having me do a tarot reading for them. And they show up in my shop constantly, annoyingly constantly. <laughs> just one other NPC that just cropped up because he did show up once outside of the mystery that introduced him uh, would be Edward O'Houlihan who is an incredibly healthy elderly man who is unfortunately now a widower um, who knew that the, not maybe not in, in many specifics, but knew that there was something going wrong, the death of his wife, because they ate so many oats and exercised every day. That just goes to show you I don't know what a healthy diet looks like. <laughs> it's all oats. <laughs> it's all oats, baby. I mean, if you eat enough oats, it'll all, it'll all quite literally work itself out. all right and uh that should be all you need to know i'm not uh, i'll be honest with you i'm not imagining many more than like our friends are going to really listen to this so if you have any questions just reach out to me um if by some miracle you don't know me and you're listening to this and you hear something and you get confused 
Uh, good luck. We have no, 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 have, no, no. Yeah. We have a Twitter. What? Yeah. <laughs> if you are in the future listening to this when we're popular and rock stars, and you want to figure out, okay, what? Who is this character? What's going on? What happened before this? You go back to episode zero like a normal human being. And then Chris doesn't insult you for not being his friend. <laughs> if you're wondering, hey, there's fucking 100,000 million actual play podcasts. Why should I listen to these fools? I would just say if you listen to our first episode, if you kind of like our chemistry and the way we do things. Not this just, one, because this one's just no, 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 the, no ep- episode one. This is episode zero. 0.5. The one that actually says episode one. So listen to that. If you like our chemistry, if you like the, the way we do things, if you like the story that, that we're building together, uh, keep listening. Hopefully you enjoy it. If it's not for you, it's not for you. We're not really doing this to appeal to a larger crowd. We're, we're doing this because, hey, some people might enjoy this. And if not, uh, at least we kind of have a fun record of something that we did. And we actually tried and put ourselves out there. Um, any closing comments from anyone else? Someone tell them what our Twitter is. I just pulled it up. If you do have any questions and you got past the point of Chris insulting you and you still want to ask us questions. I don't think it's an insult to say they're not my you, friend. You can, if you, you don't can, like it, go fuck yourself. You could go to our Twitter, which is at the forest cast, and you can ask us questions and uh, message us and we will answer you in a kind kind manner without insulting you i didn't it, like that's probably a compliment to say that they're not my friend i mean now i just insulted all of you guys it just means no it just means that they can become your friend they're not your friend yet yeah, yeah yet there we go true. uh if you don't want to use twitter for whatever reason and you want to get a more direct contact with us we also have an email out of the forest cast at gmail.com that is out of the forest cast at gmail.com those are the two main routes to contact us if by some miracle we get people who actually want to talk to us. If you want to. Yeah, if you want to. This has been Chris, Dominic, Jessica, Evan, and Alistair of Out of the Forest. Uh, introducing you to this. Hopefully it wasn't too boring. I promise the actual episodes are much more exciting because we're having fun and doing stuff rather than just railing off information at you. Uh, we are planning on releasing this every other wednesday when you're listening to this we made this months ago uh we tried to build up a little backlog just in case anything went wrong so we should be able to keep up that schedule for a good while before that all falls to pieces which it inevitably will but again uh we hope you enjoy it and if you don't we're sorry we weren't as entertaining as you wanted us to be um we're having fun that's all that really counts this has been chris and i'll let my players introduce themselves one more time yeah this has been evan i play baron this has been Dominic, and I do play Kernunos. This has been Jessica, and I play Enif. And this has been Alistair, and I will play Isaac. Oh. <laughs> and remember, always have a good corny line prepared when you're closing out a podcast. There is a diner uh, in southern Munsdale, um, near the lumber mill, where a series of terrible crimes were attempted uh, that has luckily finally gotten back on its feet and is finally starting to produce uh, its key export lumber again.
this diner is called Dotrieve's Diner, and until fairly recently, it was staffed by uh, the man himself, Dotrieve, and one waitress. Um, it was frequented by our good friend Kernunos, who is in there now as Enif, Isaac, and Baron, having all caught a bus from Veritate, uh, arrive on the premises. You you all enter the diner, uh, having arrived here at the bequest of uh, Kernunos, who said, come here so we can you know, meet up and discuss. I've got some news. And you walk in and see Kernunos walking around the restaurant wearing an apron. What the fuck? Oh, man. Sweet. I didn't know he worked here. That's something you guys didn't tell me. He didn't. Uh, yeah, we didn't know either, man. Ah, there you guys are. Here, uh, this table over here should be open. Okay. Let me just brush it off real quick. All right. He's actually like fitting in with society. It's kind of strange. All right, let's hope he doesn't poison the food. <laughs> He's not cooking, I hope. All right. I'm assuming Thank we you. all sit down at this table that Cornudos yeah. is so nicely yeah. brushed off for. <laughs> before before he um brings us food or anything, do we have to tip him? How much do we tip him? <laughs> I'm not tipping him a damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, hold on. <laughs> Just be safe. Um, okay. Right, um, I'll uh, pop over and, and, and join you guys in a moment, but uh, can I get you anything to, to drink to start? Uh, we have a fresh pot of coffee, uh, normal soft, soft drinks. <laughs> As opposed to hard drinks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um... not sure what makes them soft. Chris, no. is this early in the morning? Um, well, yeah, probably. It's it's not. It's probably like around nine or ten. All right. I, I'd like to say that I just realized that soft drinks are probably called that because like liquor is like hard. Yep. Oh. Did you, oh, was I the only one that knew that? Now hold on a minute. Quick what? aside. Yeah. Chris, what do you mean when you say liquor is hard? <laughs> Like that's what you call like yeah, that, hard like liquor. Hard liquor. Hard liquor. Yeah. Okay. All right. I thought you were talking about some kind of <laughs> no, I'm not talking like iced liquor. <laughs> like property. Some kind of property of alcohol makes it very hard. Take liquor. <laughs> it's a solid. My, I take my scotch on the rocks very seriously. God. <laughs> it's just rocks. It's a glass full of rocks. Little <laughs> rocks. Hold, hold the scotch on the rocks. Hold the scotch. Little rocks. <laughs> Uh, All right, what is everyone's order? Uh, yeah, oh, I'll man. take I'll take a cup of coffee, Black. I'll take right. I'll take some tea, please. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm just I'm just going with water. I don't think I'm awake enough for this. And water's what? gonna wake you up. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to order anything that like requires thinking. Got it. Okay. Hey, right, uh, scribbles scribbles that down, and. uh says, alright, I'll put those in, I'll get those right out to you. And he scurries away from the table. Do you think he actually writes anything down on that piece of paper? Probably not. You look you look over his shoulder as he's walking away, and he, he, he is a demigod, so he can remember. He just, like, has some scribbles written down that you assume might be some kind of annotation. My thought process uh, uh, is that Cronunos is scribbling because he thinks that's what you're supposed to do, but he doesn't <laughs> think they actually write anything. It's um you you look at you look at his his notepad and it just says I'm pretending to write things down. <laughs> Christ. Oh god. So I mean, 
he's a demigod. Did he get a job for money? Does he need money? I don't even know where he lives. I don't know where to be in at. Does he have I... an apartment? Uh, he has a friend. Balanos. Okay, but, like, that's I mean... a lead. But, does like... Balanos have an apartment? Yes, Balanos does have an apartment, actually. Oh. Wait, who's so... who's Balanos? I don't think I've met her before. Yeah, her. Yeah, her. Yeah, no, uh, yep, sure, you'll meet her at some point. Wait, <laughs> she was the one with the deer, right? Yes. Yeah, if okay. you caught a glimpse of her, yeah, that was her. Yeah, she can summon deer. That's about all I know of her. You're taking that whole summon deer thing pretty well. I mean, I've also apparently discovered that you can turn into a wolf, so... That, in light of knowing that Kernunos is a god and that Enif can do actual magic, like, there's really not much that can actually phase me anymore, so... Also, that ghosts are real, Kernunos says as he comes into... Comes back <laughs> <into the studio. laughs> he, uh, he sets everyone's uh, drink orders in front of him, and he brought, like, regular waters for people who didn't also ask for water. Wow. Yeah, he's getting good at this. Damn, he's really good. <laughs> Give him a raise. And, uh, he... he Who's sitting alone at the booth? I'm assuming two people are on one side, one person's at the other. Oh, it's probably Baron. All three are sitting on one side. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, he, he literally, like, he nudges Baron kind of, like, farther into the seat and, like, quickly sets down. Um, and he kind of, like, leans into the table and says, uh, a little under his breath, Has anyone heard of anything happening since the college? I don't think I have. I might have seen something. Um, oh. Earlier when I was in my shop upset, um, something came to me while I was in my basement, and it spoke to me for a very brief amount of time. And I'm not really sure what it was talking about. But it just told me I was doing a good job. Uh, and was mentioned something about me being part of a story. And then it just disappeared. And I don't know why or what it was. Or if I was just having a fever dream again. But <laughs> it happened. Was it a person or... It looked like a person, I think, but for it's really dark. And then it was just gone. Did it like fade through a wall? Or did it just disappear? It just I blinked and it was gone. Huh. All right. Well, yes to the yes to the ground for that one. <laughs> I'll um I'll ask around topside. See if anybody has any idea what that's all about. You know, if they're just gonna silently drink their tea. Yeah, that is a strangely encouraging thing to hear from a mysterious visitor, though. So you've got that going. For for what it's worth, I agree. <laughs> agree with what? The, the the thing. You're doing a good job. Oh, thanks. I guess. <laughs> Alright, uh, real quick, before Mr. Dotrieve looks over. Um, breakfast? Orders? Anybody? And he stands back up. 
I've never been to this diner before. Uh, what do you guys have? What do you recommend? Everything. I... <laughs> I can't order that. I don't have enough. Canada just likes the bacon. <laughs> he does. He does <laughs> like <No>. the bacon. <laughs> um, that's uh, an oh, an omelette, 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 an, an an omelette. That that's the one. There we are. Um, I've had that. It's very good. The uh, that's big breakfast is excellent. God damn it. <laughs> Which comes with, uh, well, if you look at this oh side of the menu God. here, and he points at kind of like the breakfast a la carte section, uh, it comes with basically one of everything here. I want French that toast. sounds pretty good. All right. Uh, French toast. That's big breakfast. Uh, Baron? Mm. I was going to go with what I got last time, but I think I have to do the best big breakfast. All right. Mark down two of those. Uh, and he, he, he yells back to the, the kitchen, just, two BBs! <laughs> and you hear the, uh, one of the, the cook in the back go, Ugh. I think, uh, Kinnanus kind of goes off to, to wait other tables because he is working right now. Um, and we kind of zoom out on the scene, we see the entire diner, and in a booth in the back, uh, a, a booth where it seems like the light overhead isn't working, we see that uh, same figure in, in their track pants and their green hoodie shadowing over their face, uh, kind of watching the group as they chat, as they wait for their food. Uh, but as soon as Kernunos kind of passes in front of them, they're no longer in that seat. And then it fades to black. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>